tonight on Arena. Carl Broderick and Catherine Mahan Buckley on the art of panto writing and Tara Brady on the European Film Awards in Iceland. One double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. Although seen as quintessentially British, pantomime has proven it to be continuously popular in this part of the world as well. Its popularity was reflected in James Joyce's Ulysses in the Ithaca episode. Bloom thinks about the grand annual Christmas pantomime, Sinbad and the Sailor which had been a hit in the early 1890s today. Pantomime still includes the dramatic storytelling, the stock characters and clear good versus evil. Over time, sing-alongs and fairy tales have been added to create a unique form of entertainment designed to appeal to children and adults alike at Christmas time. Delighted to be joined in studio here in Dublin by Carl Broderick and from our Cork studios, Catherine Mahan Buckley, to tell us more about the art of writing the perfect panto. I'll start with you as you're sitting in front of me here, Carl. <laughs> you were you were a relative latecomer to yeah. panto, in fact. Yeah, I never saw a panto as a, as a, officially as a kid. No, I didn't. I was 21 before I saw my first panto, and I just thought it was like amazing. I I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And what was what was that panto? It was Dick Whittington, I think it was at the mm. time. Yeah. And um my future husband to be was in it, so that's the only reason I had gone to see it. Mm. Um Alan Hughes. Yeah. So I yeah, that's the only reason I went even then. And I just thought it was amazing. I just thought the atmosphere was electric and people didn't have to sit quiet in their seats. They they were Basically, the audience was a character in itself that could move the plot along. And I just really, really loved all of that. Yeah. Yeah, So you you bought into it uh, quite Mm -hmm. immediately. Uh, Catherine, do you remember your own first experience? uh, Was it as a child or was it as an adult to see the panto? To see the panto, certainly when I was five years of age, I'd say from day one. And I suppose my image of it was that, uh, you know, you go with the storyline yourself and you actually think if the fairy godmother didn't live up to your expectations, that was it. Rubbished, gone, (laughs) no more. Um, So you really went with your own set of ideas. And that makes it quite hard then when you're writing your own or looking to this day and age. Mm. You're always making sure that you're ticking all the boxes for everybody that's there, do you know? Yeah, because it is, I mean, we're, we're essentially talking a family entertainment here. So are you saying that at that age, at the age of five, it was the fairy godmother was the essential element in, oh, the, in the panto for you? Oh, absolutely. Or the, the heroine, you know, the yeah. principal girl, she had to live up to whatever. You, you know, I can't even remember what the, uh, the other characters were like, but definitely <laughs> if those two uh, uh, ticked boxes for me, then we were flying I would have given it I rated it five stars <laughs> and, and did that did, did, did your desire the important element did that change then as you went through your teenage years into adulthood it it did uh, in the sense of I saw the fun of it and I mm. saw the characters and good versus evil and I suppose really you know when you look at Panto every five years it changes because you have a different generation and you have to kind of keep up with you know while I always say you must keep true to the storyline that's the very first thing that I'd be very strong about and then you can go what I call branch off to the what ifs what ifs but you've got to keep coming back to that straight line otherwise the children 
and feel very cheated because you know your the parents they will read the stories to them they'll know about the stories themselves and depending on what age they are if they're only five they they're great but you know as they get older they kind of will be expecting a little bit more that's interesting Carly and you're you're nodding I think in agreement there that you you can't veer off the chosen story uh, too much. No, you really can't. Um, I remember one time um, there was a radio uh, presenter in with us and they were interviewing the children who were sitting in the audience and this little lad about nine stood up and he said, it's great the way the story is always like told true to the fairy tale and yet there's these other characters that are really funny but that they never interfere with the story and I was saying, Jeannie McAfee, someone paid that child or something because he just got it. He absolutely got it and it was that idea that you have to, t- I always think of like six year old um, in the audience who really believes that Snow White up there. Yeah. Really believes it. I mean, no more than if they went to Disneyland and there was a character like Goofy with it, in a big furry outfit with a big head on. They believe that's the character. Yeah. So you have to be true. So you can't veer off the fairy tale too much. And, but, you ha- but it's the tone. I think the writer gets to set the tone because there could be two Snow Whites on. And they could be totally different. One could kind of go with sort of a, the idea of Panto as just hitting, people, hitting each other with frying pans and slapstick. And, and another then can literally tell the story and literally have you, like have that moment when the princess mm. dies and it's incredibly sad. Like when, when Ash Snow White is wheeled on in the glass coffin, it's really sad. <laughs> it's really nice. You have me crying here, Carl. <laughs> no. And it's wheeled on to like my favourite song, which is Somewhere from West Side Story. And it's like, it's just gorgeous. It's lovely, yeah. So I guess that that often is, the presumption is in, in any form of comic entertainment, Catherine, that, you know, oh yeah, play for the laughs. But in fact, the characters don't know they're in the play. Never mind what type of a play it is or never mind that it's a pantomime. You, the characters have to be absolutely real. If they're really sad, we may laugh at that, but they have to believe in what they're saying. I totally agree. And I'll give you an example of, uh, we opened um, last week and we had a group of uh, ch- children in and they were really going with the uglies. Yeah, your C- Cinderella is your panto this Cinderella year. Cinderella is our yeah. pantomime. And the uglies um, were, like I've, we have them as bold teenagers, you know, these people that talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. <laughs> um, and, but we had a group of children in and they didn't mind about them being cruel or mean to Cinderella. But when uh, one of the uglies took the teddy bear from Buttons and ripped it, they nearly stormed the stage. <sighs> and at the back of the theatre where, where I was taking some notes, there was a little guy and he shouted out, you fuck. Yeah, thank you. you. I go up and I'll box you. And so they were so they were so into it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I agree what Carl says. They have to be real. They have to be, you know, because our children are very, you know, I suppose with technology and everything, yeah. they're very zoned in. So you have to. But I will say one thing: technology versus human contact will never compete because when you see those children I'm sure Carl will agree with me uh, and adults and everybody else in an audience and they're going with the story and truly want to be engaged with it Mm. it means so Mm. much. Yeah. I mean the the experience they get I mean 
they it just lasts. I mean, I've been doing it now about over 20 years and I meet people like in nightclubs who come up to me and they say like they're now like 24, 25, that they were coming since they were two years old and it's why they became an actress or it's why yeah. they, they do this or that and how much it meant to them. And they remember things like they actually remember certain things that happened in a show sort of 15 years ago. It has that kind of impact on them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm beating you, Carl. I'm 28 years doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, you are. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. I know. And I've never actually repeated a script, which I'm very proud of. Wow. But I will say I agree with you. And I suppose really what we need to look at it as well is it is a business. I mean, there's 12 weeks employment for the actors and the crew. Um, the, you do give that very much that feeling of, you know, supporting our young people who go on to the business. Um, like I give you an example uh, which we're very delighted to see that Sarah Green was our very first Red Riding Hood Wow You know and <clears throat> we had Dara Dara O'Leary who choreographed the London Olympics he was in it as well and I'm sure Carl has very a lot of people like that as well Oh my goodness we, Killian Donnelly who's now the Phantom of the absolutely. Opera Absolutely um, yeah. Molly Lynch who is yes. it feels like we're competing here who, who do you know who, <laughs> who, 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 who's got furthest uh, Molly Lynch a Cork girl yeah who yes. came up on the bus one time and she never, never went done back. A, she, <laughs> yeah, she ne- she'd never done anything and we took a chance on her purely because I thought um, if she sort of messes up she's so sweet and she's so lovely You'll that go people would it. go with her yeah. and then through the two weeks rehearsals she blossomed and then she got like an, a London agent who came to see it and then she went to London mm-hmm. and she just started so, in the last five years yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber's show Well there you go so it's a great start yeah. but we getting back to the the art of the, the, the form itself we, we Catherine mentioned earlier on Carl about the idea of the principal girl and the fairy godmother which are very important elements within certain stories mm. how important is the dame tradition which is a big thing in British pantomime how does that fit into Irish panto is Irish panto very different in that respect or in other respects? I think Irish panto it's very similar to, to English panto and Irish panto. Somebody told me recently that it, a panto actually began in Ireland, so I need to I need to research that that the first panto actually happened in Ireland, mm. not England. So I need to kind of go because I'd love panto to be uh, considered an art form. Circus recently became considered an art form. Panto still isn't. I totally agree with you, Carl. There, yeah. And I, I think sorry, I ahead. think like the um, the pantomime uh, should be classified and even should get support from it mm-hmm. because. As I said, not alone are we employing people, we are we are training people, we are young people. I mean, the young. It's delightful to see the children back on stage again this year after the pandemic, and they get such a response. Of course, and you yeah. know it's so so important. And I know that people, some people might be, some of the purists might think, oh, it's only panto, but you know, like the da- like you were just saying there, Carl, the the actual dame, the dame is very important because they see them. As maybe all sides of their own mother. <laughs> well, and, and you know, if anybody who is turning up their nose about it, in McKellen yeah. is in Panto in Mother Goose. Yes. He's going to be playing the dame, I believe, mm-hmm. in, in in Mother Goose. So you know, yeah. this is it. It can go right across the yeah. the styles of acting. If you're a good actor, you we can had, act in um, anything. We had Brian Murray in there a couple of years ago, the the great Abbey actor and Gate actor mm-hmm. of obviously Irish mm-hmm. RM. Uh, fame and he wanted to be in Panto he is an actor because he was brought to Panto I mean it's a lot of kids first introduction to theatre that they may 
they yeah. it may never have gone into a theatre, but they might become lifelong theatre goers. Absolutely. It, it, it opens the door. But go, go mm. back to this idea of, of the dame then and how that... How it's approached in in Irish panto mm. is it approached differently? Do you think? I don't. I don't think so. I think a dame. Well, maybe see the dame is sort of not really supposed to pretend to be a woman. It's always sort of meant to be obviously a man in a dress, mm. and you know, a kind of an anti, an anti, as in anti uncle kind of figure, and can also take can also be an, almost like a narrator. You know, in that they'll bring the audience, the right dame will bring the audience with them. Mm. And, and it's almost like yeah. a protector, Carl, isn't it? Yeah. Of all the other characters. They know when they come on stage that everything's going to be okay and yeah. they'll protect whoever, mm. do you know, I suppose. And they, they turn around the evil to the good yeah. and vice mm. versa. And I suppose that, that brings that whole thing, Catherine, if you have a, uh, the dame and you have the Prince Charming or the, the young princess is one of the, well, you probably have two of them there really, <laughs> don't you? What about the villain of the piece? How important is the villain and how how scary does the villain really need to be? I don't agree with it being scary. No, I do think like that. I think if the children can see them, but like that, they are in a distance. But I found, I remember one time when we did Jack and the Beanstalk and I just didn't want the giant to be frightening them. Mm. Because you must remember, if you have a child that's coming in for the first time, five-year-old or six-year-old, you want them to come back. You don't want to frighten them. Yes. So I'm I actually, the exact opposite. I want half the audience out in the foyer afraid. Uh, stop, <laughs> Seriously, come on. When I was a kid, the, the Wicked Witch in, in, in The Wizard of Oz was amazing. I love that he didn't water that down. The child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I, see, I think I'm you still love afraid to be, of the child yeah, catcher. Yeah, me too. And I think you like, my first memory is hiding behind a sofa watching The Wizard of Oz. So I act, I think in a controlled environment, um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, love I, I, that it's not... <laughs> You know, it's. I love that when the person then, say, dies or is captured, that there is a belief that this person... Yes. That's it's just gone. me. Yeah, I just, yeah. I do. So we might agree to disagree on that I one, think we, yeah, I think we will. <laughs> well, I wonder, to, I wonder to what extent, you know, we often see the villain as a kind of a, he or she is a little bit stupid and we know Absolutely. they're a bit stupid. They should be. Because yeah. you're yeah. trying to get the main, main point and it's the reason I love it. If we can tell that audience and make those children sit in that audience and try to get it into their heads that bullies are quite stupid and idiots and just try to get that message across. If It's, it's, it's a message that Panto mm. can do. You could go into t- so many schools and talk about, give lectures, but if you can show a bully to be a stupid thing, to want to be. That's a, that's a good thing to show. That's actually yeah. good, very yeah. good idea. Yeah. And I other... do like the booing now and I do like that but I still feel, you know, that if they can... Uh, I just made this thing about that he was the hip hop, but I I do, I do agree with Carl. You have to have the the, yeah. the kind of the villain in it, but again again maybe the stupid side of it. It's so that they, they tend to laugh at them at the end. Do you mm, know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but they get and they love the booing. They love yeah, the booing. Yeah, of course. Well, it's the audience participation is Absolutely. is vital to it. But uh, one other thing that I wondered about for actors taking who who play in Panto apart from the fact that they need incredible stamina because they have this you know very condensed run in fact over the Christmas holiday period when everybody else is sitting down eating their turkey and all the rest of it Mm. what special skills would you say Catherine that a Panto 
actor needs to have that but perhaps don't pertain to other forms of theatre? I suppose they need to have a passion for it and understanding for it. Being able to sing, dance and act is a great plus and being able to handle an audience because every show you could get people who can shout up very different things to you mm. and being able to adapt to that. And I always say that if you can work in panto, you can work in any form of theatre because it is such a training because you have to think of three different genres of singing, dancing and acting, then plus an audience who may may turn the whole table around with you. So you have to be quick thinking. You must be very healthy, energised and make sure that you're, you're, you're up there yeah. with them. But I think it's a passion mm. and a belief and I suppose love an audience interacting with you. Anything mm. that you would add to that, Karen? Yeah, I just think um, the triple threat, like it's amazing the, the skills you have to be singing, dancing, acting, um, you know, being able to break that fourth wall where an audience can shout back up at you and yeah. go with it. It's a huge skill. It's, 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 it's amazing. Totally agree with yeah. you, Carl. Yeah, All right. Totally. Well, listen, I'm sure you would both say that you're Casts are displaying all of those skills oh, in yes, heat. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, yes, they are. No disagreement with you, I think, and I have that. Are you up and running at this stage, uh, Catherine? Yes, we're up and running since last week. So um, we have, like, we playing to three shows a day on Saturdays. So, and, yeah, and we're getting, you know, great response. Right. And I, I suppose, really, at the end of the day, it's great to think that, you know, when you set out to write that script, that it, it means so much to everybody and that they get what you're, what you've written which is brilliant as well right, That Cinderella is uh, the, the one that's up and running at the Everyman yeah. now in Cork everymancork.com for full details there you have the big opening night on the way Carl Yeah well we actually opened with our first show in the morning at 11am so I <laughs> left them in some some sort of um, mayhem and madness in the National Stadium there on the South Circular yeah. Road so they it's going to be fantastic it's going to be great All you know right. what we do we start tomorrow yeah Tomorrow 11am that's what Sean, I said. can you I just say one yeah. thing? Just to say to everybody, first of all, to wish Carl all the best tomorrow. Oh, thank you, I'll be Catherine. plugging for you. And I just say, you know, people need to laugh in this day and age mm. and to lose their anxiety. What's the best recipe? Go to a pantomime and you will feel very energised yeah. after it. And we so, need people to get back to live theatre because yeah, people just right. still, All right. You know. Well, listen, that's um, Cinderella at the Everyman, everymancork.com, Snow White at the National Stadium. Uh, the official opening tomorrow is 20 Panto.ie is where you'll get all our info. I was going to say, uh, full information on (laughs) Panto.ie. So there are your two websites. While Cannes, Berlin and Venice are arguably the most important dates for the film industry, the festival calendar is punctuated with other significant events that recognise achievements in filmmaking. One such event is the European Film Awards took place on Saturday in Reykjavik in Iceland. Divided into 26 categories, the awards honour the greatest achievements in European cinema. Tara Brady was at the ceremony. Uh, she's back from the cold of Iceland into, I don't know, is it as cold or less cold or more cold uh, <laughs> at the moment here to tell us about the winners and the losers. The, the weather report, first of all, Tara, a quite definitive judgment on you on whether it's colder here than it was in Iceland. 
Well, it's damper because, uh, as you know, like it's that kind of really dry cold. But I was out, I actually went on a Northern Lights tour last night. So I was out in the middle of a dark forest at like, and it was minus 11 there, which is, which is, you know, mm. so when I got back here, I was like going, what are you all complaining about? <laughs> did you, did you, did you get to see Rory Borealis? Did you see the Northern Lights? I, I actually, I actually did. Um, it was, it was completely extraordinary. I mean, there was this, I mean, it's a great thing that they do. The European Film Awards is in Berlin every other year. And then second year, it's somewhere else. Mm. And you end up in like all sorts of places. But yeah, Reykjavik is probably the most magical I've ever been to, though it did have the most eye-wateringly expensive cup of coffee I've ever encountered <laughs> in my life. I mean, every, if you're going there, bring money. A lot of it. <laughs> but you get to see the Northern Lights. Maybe they're charging you for that when they when you get your <laughs> the cup of coffee along the However, the I, divert, I divert from the business of the evening, which is, of course, who were the winners and losers at the awards themselves. Well, first one, what was or who, which was, was there a, a, an outstanding winner as, as, as in the one big one that won everything? Oh, oh, there was. And as, as with last year, if you remember, Quo Vada Saida, like, to, like mm. sort of just kind of steamrolled over everything. And th- this year it was Ruben Oslin's um, uh, Triangle of Sadness. I mean, it, t- it took four of the major awards, it took Best Film, Director, Screenwriter, and then Best Actor went to Zla- um, Zlato um, Buric, um, who, who won <coughs> out over um, uh, Paul Mescal, who was nominated oh, yeah. for After Sun. Um, so, no, it, no, it really was the, the, one, the one to beat on the night and, and the whole team were there and and very much in in a, in a party mood and um, I mean that's one of the things that's very interesting about the awards they have lots of like little kind of smaller awards like for various bodies that are involved with the European Film Academy so you know all the university clubs will vote for one and that would have went yeah. to EO and things so you're kind of expecting a more equal spread than like some of the maybe the Oscars or things like that where you do tend to have that big snowball effect but certainly in recent years there's been a snowball effect and the snowball this year was all triangle all right I and I suppose it had won the Palm d'Or in Cannes and had been nominated in four different categories there as well. So it, I'm sure it wasn't a shock that it did so well in in, in Iceland. No, definitely not. I mean, I think I think most people were were expecting it, and so you know, some of the kind of more cynical um, Nordic journalists were like, you know, were were kind of mouthing the words before they were actually ushered on the stage. So <laughs> it was it was very mm. much ex- expected. All right, let's have a listen to a, to a clip from Triangle of Sadness and it, it features the uh, Zlato Buric who won the Best Actor Award as Dimitri here and he's exchanging jo- jokes and quotes with Woody Harrelson who's the captain of the ship that they're on. They're all joking about communism and socialism over a very fancy dinner. I have one joke. Eh? Do you know how to tell a communist? Mm. It's someone who reads Marx and Lenin. And do you know how to tell an anti-communist? It's someone who understands Marx and Lenin. <laughs> it's Ronald Reagan, <laughs> funny guy. Uh, never argue with an idiot. They'll only bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. Mark Twain. Oh, OK. Ronald Reagan, he said also, Socialism works only in heaven where they don't need it and in hell where they already have it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty uh, good, yeah. yeah. 
There you go. That's a, a clip from the big winner at the European Film Awards, Triangle of Sadness. Uh, Tara Brady was there and she's joining us this evening to talk about it. I said that it probably wasn't a surprise before we heard it and, and, and we heard Zlat- Zlatko Buric in the midst of that playing opposite Woody Harrelson. Zlatko Buric won the Best Actor Award. I said it, it probably wasn't a surprise that it had done so well given its, its showing at Cannes. But what did you think? Did you think it was a worthy winner and of so many awards, Tara? Oh, I oh I do think so. I think um, as with last year, you sort of there's a few things that really really good films, and certainly that would have been in the conversation at Cannes and will be in the conversation again later in the awards season. But you know, a film like Holy Spider, um, um, Close as well. There were quite a few films that went home empty-handed that you would you know you would have hoped mm. to have had something, and that would probably make a difference in terms of like you know giving them a little push out there. But but no. It, no, I mean, it, it's 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 not a big surprise. And I think the comedy of it as well, like sort of, it's, it very kind of suits the European Film Awards. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things I've um, I've said before. It, it's it's pretty much the, the movie, the movie versus answer to the Eurovision. It has that kind of fun vibe about it. So, yeah, it, 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 it very much is in keeping with the, with the tone mm. of the event itself. The oh, Triangle just, of Sadness won yeah. everything. So does it have that kind of uh, kitsch feel that the Eurovision can have? Have sometimes does it have that flavor in there as well in the, in the ceremony? Well, I think this year, I mean, it was they had two very, very good hosts, and um, one is um, uh, Huckelkur Dagson, and the other one is um, Ilmur Christian's daughter. And they, he's an author and stand up comedian, she's a comedian and politician in Iceland, um, <laughs> you know. And so they, they come on stage and go, you, you don't know us, but we're very famous in Iceland, and they that was very much kind of the tone of the night. And then it was a night where there was like a lot of grandstanding, I suppose, there were, there were quite a few speeches about Ukraine there was you know quite a few speeches um, as well about shared European values which was very much the um, the theme of the night um, and they, you know they always kept coming on stage bouncing back and and kind of bringing it back to fun you know at one point everybody got up on their feet and started dancing to Gus Gus who was um, this um, electro beat um, band from from Iceland um, and you know and I and I also did find it very amusing that everyone was talking banging on about shared European values on an evening when everyone in the auditorium and in the media centre was checking their phones constantly to see what was going on in the England-France match (laughs) in a display of values that are not at all shared European. (laughs) Were you happy with the result of that? I think that went down rather well in the auditorium. I thought it might have done okay. A comedian <laughs> and a politician, you, you say, one of the hosts was. Um, yes. How it, it is a, the European Film Awards very much a reputation for political engagement. How how worthy does that become, or it, does it hit the right note? You're saying that you, you kind of got it. We were laughing at the fact that people were on their phones checking everything except European values. <laughs> Well, well, it's, fu- it's funny now. Two of the things I, I thought there, there were two absolutely sort of pointless awards um, um, that, that were that were very much, you know, they were big gestures, but that's really all they were. And um, there was a prize awarded to 
all the producers in the Ukraine, which, you know, you have to think, you know, was, you know, it's a, it's a gesture. But it, if you were the hardest working producer in Kiev, you, you might have cause to feel a bit miffed about that. But there, but there was this also a completely bizarre prize, which ended up going to the European Commission. It was accepted by um, uh, Ursula van der Leyen um, on behalf of the European Commission. And it was, uh, let me get the title of this right, European Sustainability Award Pre-Connect for Climate, Connect for climate, all one word, and the number four in the middle of it. Um, and she accepted in uh, there were two, three young teenager, teen, teenage activists on stage, and they um, they handed out the award. And and one one of the chaps from Iceland, you know, just turned around and went, "You need to do better." And you couldn't really blame him because the, her message had been pre-recorded the evening before, and you were just like going, "Okay, mm-hmm. if this is the most important message in the world for the young people, you might have actually turned up and." Shaking their hand, and the young activist uh, kind of called her out on it. Uh, let, let's get back to the the films themselves, and I suppose we we want to know: uh, was there much Irish interest, and was there any Irish success? Well, there, um, there, there was, um, there was some Irish interest. Um, Paul Mescal was, um, mm. was nominated, although he he lost out on the night. And Kate McCullough won um, the award for excellence in cinematography for her work on on Colin Kuhn, which which was really nice. And she she turned up and looked absolutely fabulous on the stage. She had a dinner jacket and and a very kind of long like um, a, a sweeping skirt. Um, so that that and, was really the, that was really the main Irish interest the, um, of the evening. Yeah, and in the case. On Colleen Kuhn, I guess because we're dealing with a, a, a raft of different languages across all of these countries, there is no such thing as the English language film, the French language film, the whatever language film. They're all competing at, at, on the same platform. Well, th- well, that that's true, and I think that's a really important thing about the European Film Awards. They are the European Film Awards, and I think they're in a little bit of a bind because they don't really get the viewing figures that they they deserve. Um, you know, there's still this kind of like you know, let's watch, um, you know, let's watch the the the, the Oscars or whatever. Mm. And you do see as well, you know, like sometimes actors not showing up. Um, and you know, and like particularly like I suppose people like Penelope Cruz who does normally turn up I suppose wasn't there last the the other night and Javier Bardem again someone who who would normally turn up but you do think to yourself at the end of the day when these actors are kind of making the small films that matter or they get them awards you know they're not getting the money from the Hollywood studios they're getting they're getting the money from European funding bodies and it would be nice to see the actors who've kind of got a more global profile making sure to Turn up and yeah. support European it, yeah, film industry because bear in mind, like it's very important for the Irish film industry as well that that money is coming in. Let's have a listen to a clip from on uh, Colleen Kuhn, Sean, played by Andrew Bennett, takes caught, played by Catherine Clinch, to help him feed the calves uh, some powdered milk, and caught just can't make sense out of that at all. And I shouldn't burn your water. Yeah. Care they march in? Burn your food though. They could not look into Banya water, though. Deal with me, then, Banya, son. They could not find a gown in Fiesta. Fine. Like a horse. For his father. For the Gorhund. They could not know a mission on Banya food, or else not vogue him in the ball and in Banya Fane. Shut up. You didn't say. Uh, 
Shin Andrew Bennett, uh, Sean uh, Catherine Clinch as coach, Siskanon on Colleen Kuhn, uh, The Quiet Girl, which won Best Cinematography for Kate McCullough at the European Film Awards. Um, Belfast had, the, the uh, Kenneth Branagh film had was up for a couple of things as well. Uh, uh, yes, Tara. yes, it was. Um, yes, it was. It was up for like t- for for a few wars. He he lost out um, screenplay to Ruben Ostland for for Triangle of Sadness. Mm. Almost everybody ro- lost out to um, uh, Triangle of Sadness. But the, he they did. But Belfast did take um, costume designer and production design. So so it can take some solace in that. I think that's a, always a kind of a tricky business for the European Film Awards. The release pattern is slightly different from the American release pattern you know and we and like Belfast was a little bit messy as well last year when it was released yeah. because there were still COVID delays into the cinema which kind of pushed it on a little bit further than it should have been and so it ends up being one of those films that you think oh well that that was one of last year's films but of course it is actually a 2022 release um, and, and that's, yeah. that is always an issue with awards ceremonies generally is like being locked into this pattern where then you end up with far too many prestige films all being released at the very end of the year or the very beginning of next yeah. year when people are A, busy with Christmas or B, broke because it's the new year <laughs> and aren't really going to the cinema. Yeah. Um, I, I get the distinct impression that you're a fan of these European Film Awards and you'd like to see them uh, develop and become more central perhaps or, or more part of the popular imagination. The The Golden Globes the nominations are out today. I don't think you're in the same boat with these no, particular awards. No, I, I, well, well, I think we had we had a good chat about the Golden did, Globes yeah. earlier this year, and the and it was it was a very sorry story altogether. You know, because there's been you know it's a tale of corruption and racism and and all those things, and they've they've done a bit of window dressing, they've done a bit of PR, but I don't think you can unpick. You know, we we know like for example that you know big scandal in 1982. So we're going at least that far back in terms of corruption scandals in in the, the awards bodies. And we, we also have a very um, unfortunate situation this year where Brendan Fraser is nominated in the Best Actor Award and he has made an allegation of, um, um, of, of, of sexual assault against the former head of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Um, so, so that's going to be hanging in the air. Mm. And he has said as well that he won't go. And you imagine that some actors and other like movie practitioners will probably show some solidarity around him. Um, I think it's it's a pity because it's obviously a good news story for Ireland. Banshee's getting um, eight nominations. Yeah, this is the Banshee's of Inish Erin, the Martin McDonough film. Um, but I do think as well, I mean, it's significant as well, even in the last couple of hours, the IndieWire International Critics Poll has come out. And that's very good news, again, for for Banshees of Vinisharian because it puts Colin Farrell, it's a, it's a gender neutral performance category, but Colin Farrell is only behind Kate Blanchett in that, which suggests that he's very much the, in the he's the front runner for, for best actor. Um, I, I would also suggest the fact that he won the same, the same honour in Venice, probably put Puts them definitely at, at the front of the pack, and I think the I think the big showdown for the rest of the awards season for Martin McDonough in terms of screenplay is going to be going up against the Daniels for um, everything, everywhere, all at once. I think that it's just going to be to the wire between those two parties all down the line right till the Oscars. Yeah, and it's interesting in the Golden Globes uh, regarding Anna Sharon, we have um, Colin Farrell for best performance by an actor. Uh, Kerry Condon for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role 
Best Performance mm-hmm. uh, Actor in a Supporting Role for both Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keoghan. Um, so all four really of the central cast uh, nominated there. Martin McDonough nominated in both uh, writing and in directing and Carter Burrell for Best Score. Eight nominations in total across seven categories. That That's great news. Is it a signifier? I know I want it to be a signifier for uh, for Inisher and, and the Oscars. Is it a signifier? I don't think it is anymore. Um, I think I think the I mean the Golden Globes. Bear in mind they have those two sets of categories. They have both best drama film and then they have best musical comedy. And we know that there's like massive amounts of gerrymandering that goes on around those categories to get things that. I mean, for example, if you look at today's nominations, Elvis has for some reason been parachuted into drama rather than musical. Um, so so you get that get those kinds of um uh, decisions all the time just so that they can spread their net as wide as possible and even with a wide with like double the nom- number of nominations effectively because <clears> you'll have five for musical comedy and five for drama mm. they, they still don't um, often get it right yeah. um, so so I, I think that that's gone a little bit out of um, out of the out of the conversation but 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 certainly and we and we do know as well that the Globes have always been big fans of um, um, Colin he's actually he's actually won one before um, but, but but still it, it is it is certainly me, I mean, I, I would I, I would be cautiously optimistic on Banshee's behalf, yeah. even though I wouldn't be reading a, too much into the Golden Globe nominations. All right, well, that's uh, Tara Brady speaking to us about those Golden Globe nominations just in today and before that, the winners and losers at this year's European Film Awards. is worth all of this conversation You belong in this And that is a song called Teddy's Song from I Have a Tribe musical moniker of Patrick O'Leary last with us on the programme back in 2016 believe it or not on the release of his acclaimed debut album Beneath the Yellow Moon but Teddy's song is his first release of new material since that album back in 2016. And on the basis of that, more please, Patrick. 